Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I can't believe we've reached a point where John Houston is being booed as not Trumpian enough in a Trump rally in Ohio. We'll be talking about that on This Week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn with a full house of panelists today. Chris Warnowski is back along with Laura Johnson and Jane Cahoon. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. So we got some things to talk about. Monday was a bit of a slow news day, but a few things happened. Let's get to it. What are we learning about how parts of Cleveland will be shut down for the first presidential debate a week from today, next Tuesday? Jane Cahoon, the the planning for this has been very secret. We were talking yesterday morning about how we knew nothing, but by day's end, we had a little bit of information. What did we find out? Well, as far as closing things down, we know that, well, first of all, the debate is at the Help Education Campus uh, on the Cleveland Clinic campus, which is a huge facility. And um, they're going to close down portions of Euclid and Chester Avenues from like East 89th Street to East 101st Street for Chester and from East 89th to East 105th Street for Euclid. And, you know, they're going to close certain buildings. And the main thing they issued yesterday were these guidelines for the media, which every member of the media who wants to be credentialed for this has to undergo a coronavirus test and pay a hundred bucks for it per test. And after you get tested, I, I think you get like a, like a yellow wristband and you're supposed to isolate until you get those results back. And then if you, if they come back negative, you get a green wristband, which is the go ahead. And that's good for like 72 hours. If you're, you know, you get it too far in advance, you're going to have to be tested again. But uh, they're also requiring face masks at all times, and you're not allowed to wear a cloth face mask. You have to have a blue surgical mask, mask, which they say uh, will be available on site. And then it's the usual things like, you know, wash your hands, don't touch your face, um, social distance, and uh, don't, don't cough or sneeze on people and so forth. Yeah. I mean, the precautions didn't seem that unreasonable. I was surprised that you could get tested. And if it comes back negative, you can go about your business for up to three days and not have to be tested again. I mean, what if you go right from the test to a place where you get infected, but they must have some reason to believe it doesn't spread as easily when you're first um, exposed or something. The the shutting down of the city, it's not surprising that they would close Chester and Euclid. We don't know when they're going to close it. Part of the preparations were they're going to set up the media center like three days before the event. I hope they're not closing down that part of the city for three days, but we also don't know how they're closing it down. Are they putting up 10-foot chain link fence? Is it going to look like a military compound? I noticed they closed the garage across the reflecting pool from the site, which I suspect is because they'll have the sharpshooters up there that are always available at these kind of events to look for troublemakers. We do not know yet whether protesters will come, where they would be, 
But we did get a taste of what the Trump crowd is like this season when he was in Ohio yesterday. And I was stunned when John Houston, who was almost a Trump sycophant, was booed as he tried to explain to people that they should wear Trump masks. I mean, did that strike anybody else as just positively surreal? <laughs> well, yes, so much so that we decided to write a separate story about it because <laughs> because Andrew Tobias was there like, holy, wow. <laughs> you know, anyway, I, go ahead. I mean, but but what, what's amazing about it is it's, a, it's like we have two arms of the Republican Party now. You have the blind Blindly loyal Trump followers who, if you don't agree with everything the president says, and he changes his mind by the hour, but if you're not aligned, you're booed by fellow Republicans at a Republican presidential rally. And John Husted and Governor Mike DeWine are like co-chairs of the Trump campaign in Ohio. So it's interesting to see the like the Ohio Republican Party kind of kind of walk this line where they're supportive of of the governor and his administration, but they're they're so all in on Trump. And this was really like painful to watch to see Houston. He was trying to model a Trump 2020 face mask and they were like, get off the stage, boo, you know, (laughs) and he's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. But at least you're you know, you can say you're trying to save the country by wearing one of President Donald Trump's masks. And that didn't really work either. <laughs> they, were just, no, they just weren't having any of it. It's an anti-mask crowd. It's an anti, you know, the coronavirus is mythology. I, it, it, just, it was it was kind of striking. I mean, look, I, I, people will say this has gone too far. It really does strike me as late 30s Germany. I mean, that, that's just that's not I mean. John Houston is a Trump guy. I mean, to, because he doesn't agree with every single thing regarding the coronavirus, he's a villain to the Trump supporters. Well, ahead, what, like one observation I saw is uh, I, I, maybe it was on Twitter and maybe it was in Andrew's story. I can't recall, but that that people were actually getting the masks, but they weren't wearing them. They were stuffing them in their pockets like keepsakes. And uh, <laughs> but you're but you're right. Like there's. What's interesting to me is that okay, we had there was a story last week. Was it last week that Dewine also got booed? No, Pence. Pence got booed. Well, but Pence got booed when he brought up Dewine. Right. Oh, okay, okay. That's what I say. And then you have this with Houston, and and we've had interparty squabbling over masks and the coronavirus in this state, including you know the attempts to oust the former health director and, and all that stuff so there there has been a, a civil war within the republican party in ohio alone but but for me what 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 strikes me so much about Houston and and to a lesser degree DeWine is just just how they stand up there and take it and it's like at what point are you going to pull up your principles and 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 just stick up for yourself like it's such a it's just watching them squirm and it's just so uncomfortable. You know, I mean, look, I bombed on stage many times and watching him, <laughs> like watching him eat it up there. It was just uncomfortable. But at some point you have to wonder, you know, are these people ever going to reveal any any sort of principles and ever stick up for themselves and their ideas 
Or, well, no, or, I, no, I, I, I mean, it's, it's just so did. unfortunate. No, DeWine did. DeWine was asked about it, and he said, look, I'm making tough decisions, and I'm doing what's right for the people. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are unhappy. What, what surprised me, there is a difference between DeWine and Houston. I mean, DeWine, while he professes loyalty to the president, he's not listening to the president when it comes to the coronavirus. He's doing what he thinks is the right thing to do. Houston is much more in line with the president. I mean, at one point they started to chant, open up, open it up. And he said, look, I agree with you, but they still booed him. I mean, he's a villain to the Trump followers. And it's like, well, who's not then just blind loyalty, I guess, is all that that works. I mean, if Christina Hagen got on the stage, would she get booed? I mean, I just, I what's, what's the standard, Jane? Is Dave Yost a villain? Is, is Frank LaRose a villain because he's trying to get postage put on the ballots? I, yeah, I, just, I guess it depends on what they say. Like, for instance, Houston also mentioned something about absentee voting and, and got booed. And that's really interesting because, you know, of course, Trump has, has uh, been, spewing rhetoric about, you know, rigged election and and how bad mail-in voting is. But then he tries to like make a distinction like, oh, absentee voting is okay. But I don't think that message is, you know, I don't think people are, his supporters are getting that distinction. So (laughs) here you have Houston trying to encourage people to vote and to vote for Trump Pence. Are you uh, saying that? And they're booing. Are you saying there might be a subtle lack of nuance Yeah. All right. We got to move on. It's this week in the CLE. Is COVID-19 an aerosol that spreads more easily than we previously thought or not? Laura Johnston, we got up yesterday morning with the news that the CDC had finally gone with many of the scientists out there and said, "Okay, this is different than what we've been saying. It's an aerosol. It hangs in the air. The six foot limit doesn't really mean anything. We got to worry about this. But so, you know, we launched a reporter to to talk about this and we put a story up and then the CDC (laughs) changed its mind. I don't get it. What's the truth? Uh, Yeah, I I mean, I am not a scientist, so I'm not going to say, but. Uh, it certainly seemed that the CDC take on it that the virus is more dangerous than believed and we need to be really careful in indoor spaces, especially when you're eating, drinking, singing, working out. Um, that made sense with what we've been hearing. We've been talking about this possibility since early spring with studies about how runners could be spewing the virus all over the sidewalk, how traces of the virus hung in the air in hospitals. So it's disturbing, but you're kind of like, okay, I, I saw this coming. Then yesterday afternoon, the CDC completely changes course. It says the new information was a draft of proposed changes. They were posted in error. They're still working on recommendations about airborne transmission. However, as best I can tell, the CDC isn't saying its draft was wrong, just that it shouldn't have been released. So you have to wonder what happened, whether the decision on Monday was political. We checked into what other health organizations are saying, and the World Health Organization is still saying it's monitoring emerging evidence of possible airborne transmission. But the evidence is how easily it's spreading in restaurants and bars right. and other tight spaces that it wouldn't make sense necessarily. It, it, this the, the, the CDC's reputation under the Trump administration has really been destroyed. It used to be this respectable scientific organization that when they said something, people listened, Mm -hmm. but they're waffling over the last few weeks about whether we should test people who don't have symptoms. And then this weird 
turnabout and with a with a very lame explanation it's just destroyed their credibility i mean well, which you know the president <laughs> i think is sought to do because he doesn't want people to think the virus is a big threat uh, see also NOAA, nasa epa <laughs> yeah yeah anywhere where science dwells has lost a lot of credibility <laughs> under this president i'm so glad you're back chris <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I, this is all pent up from a week off i've been angry and just like stewing and like ah, i gotta get it off my chest <laughs> but I think a lot of people are feeling the same way. I sent this message out on our subtext before our, like our messaging platform to it's free to subscribers, um, to subscribers of subtext. They, they messaged me back. One of them letting me know this had changed because when I sent it out, it was the rule. And there's a lot of people that are saying, I, I'm not going to listen to the CDC. Like what, what do they know? And so when the CDC tells people to wear masks, they're going to be like, they don't know what they're talking about. It's, it's really hurting the entire country. But that's the goal, right? To, yeah, to discredit so. your scientific organization so that people have no belief. It's just a dangerous time. But this this is wacky. I did see stories today coming out in, in response to this where a lot of scientists are saying, yeah, the evidence is mounting that it's an aerosol and people ought to be thinking about it. It, it All of a sudden now we have mounting evidence that it's spreading like crazy in planes, which again would be because of an aerosol. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why are two people named Hagen feuding in a congressional battle near Youngstown? Jane Cahoon in Cuyahoga County, the Hagen name is long established and it's very, very uh, liberal and Democrat. But it turns out over in Youngstown, there's kind of a division of Hagen families and it's bubbled up into a congressional race. What's the story there? Yes, this is an interesting situation. So we have um, Congressman Tim Ryan, who's a Democrat, running for re-election in the Mahoning Valley and his Republican opponent is Christina Hagan, a former state rep and an ultra conservative Republican who happens to have a surname that's associated with this, as you said, liberal uh, clan named Hagan, uh, Democrats who are who are popular in the in the Valley and other places in Ohio, like up here in Cuyahoga County. So Ryan's worried that voters will think that Christina Hagan is one of the Democratic Hagans, so much so that he had state rep Michelle Lepore Hagan, who is part of the Democratic Hagan clan uh, and is from the Valley, uh, cut a commercial for him basically saying, you know, don't be fooled. Christina is the, the wrong Hagan and, and they're accusing her of deception for for using her maiden name of Hagen rather than her married name of Nemeth to to fool voters into thinking that she's actually Michelle Lepore Hagen. So you're following me up to this point. Yeah. Um, they also note that she that Christina Hagen's from Alliance. She's really not, you know, from the district. And uh, Christina Hagen says, you know, she doesn't think voters are confused and she thinks Ryan is pulling a political stunt to distract from his his record you know ryan has owned that district for as long as he's run there but this this is a little bit of a sign of desperation is there some signal that christina hagan could take that seat from him well she's probably the strongest opponent he's had over a couple decades that he's held that seat uh, but as we know, our congressional districts in Ohio are horribly gerrymandered. At least they will be through this election. And the, the result has been guaranteed every single time, you know, 12 Republican seats, four Democratic seats. 
And Ryan happens to hold one of those reliably Democratic seats. But I think what he's worried about is that people will think Hagan is a Democrat. And, the, and you know, so he doesn't want to take any chances. Although after all the years he's held the seat, if there, people are confused about who he is, that says something about Ryan less than it says about Hagan. Yeah. We'll have to see how it goes. I mean, I'll be surprised if that seat turns, especially given how close the presidential race is in Ohio. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. How does the stress of the last six months because of the pandemic compare to some of the nation's other big stressful periods in history? Chris Renaski, we we've been talking a good bit about how we've all been under stress for six months and it's manifesting itself in lots of ways. Last week we did the story on teeth grinding. Dentists are seeing a whole lot more of it than they've seen before. So we wondered how has the country coped with previous bouts of stress that were for long periods of time and wars and things. And Pete Krauss went out and put together a story about it. What are some of the findings that he had in that story? So Pete, Pete looked at several of the most stressful periods in, and he mostly focused on post-Civil War U.S. history, including uh, Reconstruction, the Panic of 1873, uh, the Panic of 1893, the Progressive Era, the 1960s, and the energy crisis of the 1970s. And he sort of set out with the question, you know, is our collective anxiety about today's virus on par with the stress that our parents and our grandparents uh, dealt with during those periods of time? Um, if you had my grandparents, uh, you could never be more stressed out than they were during their lifetimes. But 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 uh, today's stress levels, uh, Pete found by by speaking to some experts, found that that one of the things that really is heightening our anxiety through all of this is, of course, social media. And and it's allowing for just a constant spread of information, misinformation about, you know, the coronavirus, about civil rights, about just about everything that's going on right now, all the culture war stuff that we're sort of dealing with in the lead up to this election. But there was one difference that was sort of highlighted that during past times of crisis, uh, particularly during the, the world wars, Americans kind of rose to the occasion, mobilizing on kind of a grand scale. Uh, with a sense of purpose. I would argue that, you know, we had a brief window of that kind of right after 9-11 too, but he didn't really touch on that in this story. You know, there was a moment in this country, you know, sadly, you know, behind, you know, world wars where where, where we actually sort of came together and, and dealt with a problem, you know, but America did enter the world war very late and, you know, comparatively and, and all of that, but, but we did get into it and, and there was this mobilization, people sacrificed, people, you know, people went to work, people, people did all the things to do they, they could to support that effort. But in this, you know, I think you're, you're sort of seeing a, a lot of failure. I think you're seeing, you know, a very laxed federal government response to it. I, I, and, you know, and a sort of mishmash of states responding in different ways. And, you know, this issue with people working at home, people at schools, people losing their homes, people losing their jobs, people unable to get unemployment, people, you know, spending days and hours on social media, just like melting their brains. It's there's so much that's going on right now. And and honestly, I don't think it's going to take some time, you know, because we're still in it. It's 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 sometimes it's really hard to sort of see how bad things are while you're still in the middle of it because, you know, you're focused on survival. And I think as we get some critical distance from this, if it ever gets if we ever get it under control, it'll be interesting to sort of see where this fits in history. Okay, a good summary. It's this week in the CLE. 
Did the coronavirus spark a big surge in boat sales in Northeast Ohio? Or Johnston, we know golf surged across the country because it's the big social distancing outdoor activity. But boat buying, I guess, is uh, it reflected a whole different activity that was big this year. Yeah, basically anything you could do to get outside and away from people did really well this year. So boat sales uh, were up about 50% in some dealers. Basically, they told they told me if you have it, if they had it, they sold it. And actually getting inventory in was some of the hardest thing because factories uh, slowed down during the coronavirus. Um, but boat registrations were way up. We normally have about 180,000 by this point in the year, and they were up over 200,000. And then the Freedom Boat Club, which has five locations on Ohio's Lake Erie shores, has seen a record number of memberships. And that's where you can like buy in and take out a boat a couple of times a week. So, I mean, I was hearing this all summer that people were saying they were trying to get a boat. Did you know anybody who was selling a boat? So if, if you had been thinking about it, thinking maybe someday I'd like to own a boat and you could, you went out and bought a boat this year. <laughs> but to, to put a boat on Lake Erie, you need a certain size. So you, you can't, you have to have a certain budget. I mean, people are not taking, you know, 12 foot rowboats out on the lake, right? I mean, you need something of no, um, some, because the you, waves are so big. And so you need to spend real money. You do. And, you know, you want something probably bigger than 20 feet. But you can also take a kayak out on Lake Erie and you can take a paddleboard. So the the registrations for the state would include kayaks and canoes. They don't include paddleboards. They also include jet skis. So you can get something a little less expensive if you're looking for that. Uh, but it, and it's not just the social distancing aspect of this. It's that people had so much time on their hands. Like if their, their vacation was canceled or their kid wasn't going to summer camp or there were no sports leagues. So all of a sudden, all the things that have been keeping you uh, from being able to say, oh, I don't like I don't have time for that. Like all of a sudden people had nothing but time. <laughs> and they were like something we could do. This is Chris Wardowski. I I just want to point out that the last segment that we talked about on this podcast was how stressed out everyone was. Look, if if where people are buying boats in record numbers, how stressed out can we really be? Well, right maybe now? this is how we're dealing with our stress. But I maybe, mean, maybe these people are planning for a refugee crisis along the Canadian border. Canada. <laughs> 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 on their boats. But I mean, there is a lot of research that shows that being with water does help people cope with stress. You know, it, it's a calming effect. So if this is something and you can afford it, um, I mean, I don't have a boat, I have a paddleboard, but I spent a lot of time on the water this season. So it was a good counteraction to all the craziness. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What does the state health department order about Halloween say? Jen Cahoon, I've been surprised how many people care about this. It's almost like in a year when you've lost everything, they're trying to hold on to trick-or-treating. <laughs> it's like the one thing. And so the threat that it could be canceled, which happened out west and then was reversed, had a lot of people worried, and it's come up in Mike DeWine's briefings. So where do we stand on Halloween almost a month out from it? Well, he's, he's not gonna, he's not gonna cancel Halloween. Uh, he's, they're making recommendations. It's not really an order. They're leaving it up to individual communities and parents to decide whether trick or treating is the right thing. But they are strongly recommending against things like haunted houses and hay rides and, and other activities where kids would congregate. So they, they threw out some suggestions like, you know, drive through trick or treating or, leaving treats in, in, 
neighbors and friends mailboxes, uh, although I think they revise that because it's really <laughs> illegal to put anything in a mailbox besides <laughs> mail. So I think they had to walk that one back. But um, so you're seeing you're seeing a lot of changes. But but they said that uh, closer to Halloween, they will take another look at it to see, you know, if God forbid we have another big spike or something, you know, they, they might have to make some adjustments, but basically it's kind of like the same thing with the schools. It's, it's local control of this issue. Well, we we did do a survey uh, a week or two ago to ask what cities are doing and a bunch said they're waiting on the governor. So I guess we need to get back to them. What, Laura Johnson? I was just saying, I've seen a lot of talk about this on social media because Halloween is a Saturday and the clocks will fall back. And so there's this joke going around that like when we, it was like Friday the 13th in March when we had to spring ahead and all of the world blew up with coronavirus. So maybe this is just the factory reset by the (laughs) the Halloween (laughs) uh, to reset the world. But I think it's not just- that's some really wishful thinking. (laughs) (laughs) It's social media, right? it's not just kids who want to go out and like have a night where they can just be totally free and, and have fun. I think the world is, is looking at this, or at least this country is like looking for a night that they can just blow off some steam. And so I hope we find a way to make it safe um, and fun for everyone. I mean, you're seeing stuff about like, which costumes can you wear a mask under? So it's, you know, you can incorporate it. I I want my, my seven-year-old daughter to be a puppy. And I was like, I'm going to make her ears on a headband and then I'll just buy one of those face masks where the the dog face is the mask. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so you just find a fun way to make it happen. Wait, wait, wait. Laura, it's almost the end of September. You don't have the Halloween costume done yet? <laughs> oh my oh, wow. gosh, you're slipping. Yeah, your Christmas shopping is usually done in July, right? Okay, my Christmas shopping is mostly done. And oh this my my God. God. <laughs> but um, we already got emails about, I guess kids are worrying about Santa Claus and coronavirus. So Brenda Kane, our reporter, is going to be writing about that. Well, we do need to start looking at the holidays. It's really bad news coming out of uh, studies on airline flights now. They're starting to see a lot of spread there. So people are going to have a hard time getting together with their families, which will only add to the stress we keep talking about. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Before Leah Day became the latest Cuyahoga County jail inmate to die in her cell, she penned a letter about poor conditions in the facility. Chris Warnowski, what did it say? Yeah. So Leah's mother discovered this letter when she collected the 28-year-old's belongings from the jail after her August 30th death. And and what she wrote, if you have been following the years-long saga of the Cuyahoga County Jail, it, a lot of this won't come as a surprise, but she said she had p- sort of planned to release, send this letter after release from jail, but she didn't name its intended recipient. And she wrote that the food was cold, smelled bad, and that the portions that they served to inmates were too small. And this doesn't sound like a big deal to people who think things like, well, you know, if you don't want bad food, you don't go to jail or whatever. But but this was an issue that was actually highlighted pretty significantly by the U.S. Marshals uh, back in 2018 when they did their examination of the jail after eight inmates died there. 
And, and the, the food was a big issue. There were issues with vermin infested food, uh, staff using moldy, moldy serving trays and stuff like that. And so in June, the county uh, contracted with a company called Trinity Services Group for $9 million for three years to serve inmates food. But the Florida based company has been the subject of a lot of critical reports over the quality of their food served at the jails and prisons across the country, which is not a surprise if you also pay attention to how jail contractors sort of cut a lot of corners in order to maximize the amount of money they make. So so Day also wrote that the jail failed to do inmates' laundry and didn't provide them supplies to clean their cells, which, you know, are not is not a good thing, you know, as a result of this coronavirus, which, you know, for the most part, the jail has done an OK job of, of responding to. If, you know, you recall, they they did manage to get a lot of people out of the jail during the, the sort of worst part of it at the beginning of, of the pandemic. But we're sort of starting to see those numbers tick back up a little bit. Do we know yet how Leah Day died? Uh, we don't. There, there's been no indication as of yet. OK, you're listening to This Week in the CLE. How much time each week are we all saving by not commuting as we work from home during the coronavirus? Laura Johnston, we got a little time left. Let's let's deal with this one. <laughs> How much time am I really doing more work if not commuting? So about 4.1 hours a week. It's about 10% of Clevelanders work week. And that puts us in 29th place for cities around the country, according to the study, which is done by a car shopping website called Copilot, which looked at a bunch of census information, I believe. And the biggest chunk of time saved is, no surprise, New York City, the cities you expect where you spend a whole lot of time in your car. We talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I wonder how much of this is a permanent culture change because, you know, I go more than a month now without filling a gas tank and I'm not really looking forward to spending evening rush hours like on the the brake pedal. So... We, we have more time. Now, what we're doing with it, some of us are sleeping more, some of us are working more, and then there's those people who are out on their boats. Chris Wernowski. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm working more. I'm not out on a boat. I'll tell you that. At least All I right. sit in front of my boss. <laughs> right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. Chris, it's been great to have you back. Laura, Jane, thanks as usual. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. A lot of people are still catching up with our special episode with Mike DeWine. Check it out. He opened up a good bit about what he's been thinking these last six months. This Week in the CLE, we'll be back tomorrow. 